Hi, and welcome back. I'm Dr. Barbara Byers, and this is part two of emotions. So I wanna begin by talking about our need for objectivity, because our emotions can be very subjective. You know, emotions hold truth for us. At least they hold our perception of the truth. And uh, they, we think they're validating the truth for us, but really they're not. They're just validating what we already believe. And so our emotions are always affected by what we perceive as reality. And sometimes, oh, we can live out of our emotions more than we know, and that will keep us trapped and it'll keep us very immature. This is a quote. Most of us have been quite successfully conditioned to determine truth through the filter of our feelings. Emotions are followers and we place our soul in danger when we require them to take the lead. They are poor masters, but they are good followers. So we need to learn to examine our emotional responses and not give them a place of preeminence. We give them a place, but not preeminence. And uh, we need to also learn to embrace the truth, no matter how loudly our own unhealed emotions may be saying, oh no, this is what's true. They speak in their own unhealed language, but we need to know what the truth is and be able to stand in the truth. And eventually our emotions will begin to follow. We don't come at our emotions like, oh, I've got to stop feeling that. That's not the issue. What we do is say, what am I thinking? What am I believing? That's what I'm gonna stand in. And um, the more objective we become, the less susceptible we are to misinterpreting or exaggerating uh, something that happens to us or something maybe we perceive from another. So how does our emotional life get formed? What happens in early childhood? Well, it really starts at birth and actually often it starts when we're in utero because we feel our mother's emotions and we have emotions even then, even though we don't have language for them. So our, I'd say basis for emotional sturdiness is formed in, um, during our infancy in those first few years. And a child who is nurtured well during those first years really is set on a good path of emotional development uh, for later years. It really sets us up. Our parents were our early models of how to express emotions and whether our emotions were welcomed or whether they were not. You know, there are people who still feel guilty it, or feel ashamed if they cry about something or express too much emotions. You know, if our parents welcomed our emotions, oh, Johnny, why are you crying, sweetie? Did someone hurt you? Did you fall down? Come and tell me about it. Versus, I don't know why you're crying, but if you don't quit right now, I'll give you something to cry about. One blesses the child and invites emotions and then helps the child shape their emotions. The other negates and shames the child. So sometimes parents themselves were very shut down emotionally and the child learns as model to them to be repressed. Sometimes a parent was dramatic and chaotic and a child learns, well, there's only one way to deal with life. None of us can really control our emotions. And so that's how they ended up uh, 
dealing with life is expressing emotions in that way. Sometimes there's just been so much anger and reactivity in a home uh, that they're just unable because they've never learned how to deal with difficult emotions. But the Holy Spirit can help us in that. Doesn't matter where we are on that continuum, the Holy Spirit will help us and bring healing as we ask him. Sometimes our early modeling tells us we can't have emotional, healthy emotional boundaries with others, especially if someone controlled us with their emotions. And we may have learned, I don't even know how to differentiate my emotions from someone else's emotions. And that's really important. We can have empathy for others, but we need to recognize that there is a difference between our emotions and their emotions, and there's a difference between them taking responsibility for their own emotions and us taking too much responsibility for their emotions. Um, so there comes a time as adults that we've got to learn to express uh, our emotions, express our needs, and deal with emotions in good ways and distinguish them from others' emotions. Uh, especially if we've been dominated by others. We may need prayer to separate us from our parents or from others who put too much emotional domination on us or from the diseased parts of our parents that we have taken in. Um, so it's really an essential part of our healing for us to understand, know, name our emotions and begin to learn uh, to process through that to separate out, to be more objective, and to know what the truth is. And sometimes it, our emotions will just insist that we don't have a choice. This is what we feel, and we don't have a choice. But that's, that's never true. We always have a choice to believe the truth and to walk in the truth. And our freedom and transformation really depends on us knowing that. So let me go back for a minute to, in part one, I talked about repression and denial a little bit. Sometimes we repress feelings because at the time, whatever that event was, it was absolutely too overwhelming or too painful for us to be able to cope. So we just, we just put the feelings down and, and lock them away. Uh, but repressed feelings do, do have a way of coming back up and they will affect and trouble us in other ways. And sometimes we don't connect them back to the original injury. However, if we ask, and I think I mentioned this before, the Holy Spirit is so faithful. He will take us back to the original memory and he will show us where that wound came in and what we believed at that time and how it's affecting our emotions. So to choose to feel pain is really critical to our healing. If we don't choose to feel pain, we're saying to the Lord, I'm just too afraid. You're not able to handle it. You won't help me handle it. It might be too painful. And we defend ourselves and, tr and try to push the emotion away. But we can be sure that even though it may be painful, it will not be too much for us, that the Holy Spirit will strengthen us at a deep level and protect us going into a memory so things can be healed. But we have to be willing to go there and we have to be willing to do the work and you know, grieve our losses where there's losses and let the Lord bring up anything that's repressed. Sometimes we just sort of prefer to stay in apathy, kind of a 
emotional starvation, if you will, because uh, we've just decided, you know, it's just too costly to care, it's too costly to connect, it's too costly to relate, and this is called defensive devaluation. So what we've done is we've devaluated love, we've devaluated trust as a form of protecting ourselves from getting hurt. Oh, and yet we just live half lives if we do that. So God's created us to be appropriately passionate, full of emotions, expressive, and not shut down. He invites us to come up out of that if that's where we've been. Because, you know, sometimes we can get in this denial and it's like, oh, I'm not upset. I'm not angry, but really, but really we are. And that's not a walk of faith because we're not anywhere near telling the truth. So we need to give ourselves the permission that God gives us uh, to be moved by emotions and to have this beautiful capacity and to take responsibility for our emotions and to see new possibilities. You know, if you've ever had a, a Christmas tree that has, you know, the, the lights on it, I had one one time that already had the lights pre-strung and one light went out in the whole, the whole circuit went out. Well, it's kind of like that with emotions. We can say, oh, I'm just going to be joyful and feel joy, but I'm not going to feel, you know, unhappiness or whatever, but it doesn't work that way. We can't repress one emotion and expect to live in this, in the full spec, in the full spectrum. We're created to have all the emotions and to be fully alive in our spiritual formation. We can't repress our emotions and disown our heart, if you will, um, we need to welcome anything in our soul we've disenfranchised and to say, yes, Lord, come and heal this. Come and heal this. And one of the things that should give us such hope is to look to Jesus, who is our model as in everything. He's our model in humanity of emotions. Just think about how many times in scripture we, uh, his emotions are indicated whether it's um, disgust or uh, frustration or anger or trust or whatever it is, joy, um, grieving. We see all of those with Jesus and his personhood was fully emotionally functioning and his humanity should give us such hope. So as we look to Jesus, who's the author and finisher of our faith, we can actually say to him, Lord, come and enter my emotions. Come and set them aright. Come and give me your emotions because you live fully human on the earth. And where I'm tempted to repress them or where I'm tempted to let them dominate in some kind of crooked way, Lord, show me the way through that. We can explore his humanity and take it in as our own. We see him as expressing his emotions so well. He didn't hide he didn't devalue his emotions. He didn't self-protect, and he wasn't undisciplined in his passions. So really, what I've been talking about in this part one and part two is reordering our emotions well, renovating our emotions as part of the healing and transforming of our soul. You know, we are invited daily to die with Christ. We are. Well, how do, how do we die to our emotions? Are our emotions just supposed to die? No, no, no. Uh, it doesn't mean we kill our emotions, but we bring them to death, to a form of death, by putting them in their place, 
by allowing them to be ordered and healed by the Holy Spirit. They take second place, not the place of preeminence. And then emotional maturity becomes managing our emotions well and growing in things like conflicts with others or um, uh, managing our uh, moodiness or whatever. And it is by the Spirit's empowering that we can educate our emotions and we can train our emotions. We can acknowledge them before the Lord and, and we can move forward. And it really does take the enabling grace of the Holy Spirit who is so present. It also takes time and patience with ourselves to say, I see what needs to change. I want to increase my emotional health and Lord enable that. So just a brief example of that is my is my journey out of depression. I was depressed for, for many years. In fact, recently I looked at some of my old spiritual journals and um, as far back as 40 years ago, I was expressing in my journals this depression and I wasn't very emotionally healthy. And of course, underlying all that was a, an unhealthy belief system. Because if I believe the truth, my emotions are going to reflect that. So I wavered in my identity. I was double-minded. I had a lot of self-pity. Um, and I would talk about my depression. I would give credence to my depression. And when we do that, we just empower it all the more, right? Yeah, now I've owned it. So I'm, I'm really going to come into agreement with it. And that just made me the powerless victim of this terrible thing called depression. I'd have people pray for me. And, and sometimes we do need deliverance. Sometimes it is a dark spirit. In my case, I had uh, two generations, both from my maternal side and my paternal side, back to my grandparents where there was nervous breakdowns and a lot of depression. And man, my depression just absolutely seems so true. And so, uh, you know, then of course the brain follows suit because now we develop all these neurological loops that keeps taking us back into our toxic thoughts and into our depressions. Uh, so one day I woke up and I told the Lord as usual, you know, I'm feeling depressed. And uh, he whispered to me, you don't have to be. I thought, what? I, what? Was that thought the Lord? I don't think so. You know, because <laughs> you know what? I began to just in that moment already realize, ah, I have to bear some responsibility in this, but I, I was hearing him and he was inviting me not to let it flood me. He was inviting me to a new way. And that was just the beginning of a long walk of walking out of that where I learned others aren't responsible for my happiness. I don't have to give undue attention to this. Even if I feel it, I can choose joy. I can choose peace. And uh, I would put uh, the scriptures that meant a lot to me concerning this, I would put them on my mirror so I could see them first thing in the morning. And I would look in the mirror and these negative, negative thoughts would flood. And I would say, but this is the truth. But this is the truth. And as I began to replace the truth, the, the old beliefs with the truth, then the depression decreased in frequency, in duration, and in intensity. And it stopped dominating me. And the more I learned to walk in the truth and the more mature I got and the more old wounds got healed, then the depression dissipated and dissipated. It occasionally tries to knock at the door, but I know what's going on. So 
what I'm talking about there is how healthy emotions really spring from a renewed mind. And when we structure our deep beliefs around the word, because it is our responsibility where we set our mind, then we begin to see freedom. Emotions aren't our true center, but emotions are vital to healthy um, movement within our soul and to living full and free. So I hope these two parts have helped you and I hope you'll join me next time. Thanks so much.